You sisters know that my skin has been glowing lately, and I'm here to tell you my secret. Oak Essentials. You've heard us talk about their line of luxurious products before, and we're so excited to have them as a sponsor of OK Sister Podcast because now you can join in on the glowy goodness. You know Oak Essentials is legit because it was created by none other than our favorite brand ever, Jenny Kane. Oak Essentials is known for its simple approach to self-care with a lineup of foundational skincare staples made with high-quality ingredients that drive results. It aims to unlock healthy, glowing skin with decadent and hydrating ingredients that give you a luxe, dewy glow. I won't shut up about the Moisture Rich Balm. It's a nutrient-rich balm that supports collagen production and delivers serious hydration for a luminous glow. And a luminous glow indeed. The way my skin feels like butter after applying this balm. This balm will make you never want to wear makeup again. And you can apply generously during your night routine to lock in moisture as you dream. It's the definition of beauty sleep. Treat yourself or someone else this season. You sisters will get 15% off and a free organic honey-based restorative mask with their first order. Oh my God, what a deal. When you use code OKSIS15 at checkout. That's right. 15% off plus a gift with your first order at O-A-K-E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A-L-S.com. Promo code OKSIS15, OKAYSIS15. Go ahead and treat yourself. From luxurious skincare to meaningful self care, you deserve it. Welcome to OKSIS. We are two cultural observers and curious minds who happen to be related. I'm Scout. And I'm Maddie. Get ready for some serious sororal energy as we chat about and comment on one another's current fixation of the week. Ready, Ready, sisters? Welcome back to OK Sis. What's up, what's up, what's up, sisters? What's up, what's up, what's up? I'm Scout. I'm Mads. And if this is your first time listening to OK Sis, welcome. Welcome, bonjour. And if you're coming back for more, you are one of the sisters already. Ooh, come back for more. Coming back for more. Like what you saw? Like what you heard? Oh, God. (laughs) Okay, so uh, the Oscars were this past week, obviously. What was your all-time favorite moment? Falling. Here we go. Can you like enunciate? Okay. 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 No, we're done. We've completed that section and we are over that. Oh my God. Actually, that was one of my favorite moments when they performed that song because I'm obsessed with that song. I mean, they eye fucked and it was just fabulous. They were eye fucking like crazy. Poor Arena. Is that her name? Yeah. They're acting mad. That's the whole point of they're supposed to be in love. I 100% don't see any chemistry between them. Me, I mean, in the people are freaking out. They're like, "Oh my god, they're cheese cheating!" On no, Arena. you I'm can like, tell. Oh you you no. can totally tell think, they're acting. I think Gaga would fuck Bradley Cooper, but I don't think Bradley Cooper would fuck Gaga. Like, I really don't see it for him. Interesting. I don't either, to be honest. And even in the movie, I was like, "This is an odd pairing." Even though yeah. they did a really good job and like they were great actors, but and I couldn't see it off of the camera. But like off camera, I cannot see that happening. I agree. Her dress. Oh my god, her second dress. I know. To die for. Die for. Um, I think best dress Regina King. Like, oh, oh, holy shit. No, I think best dress went to Gaga. Oh, I. Oh gosh. And Olivia Coleman winning best actress. I was. So everyone go see the favorite. It is. I've never seen it. Oh my god! It was the best movie this year. Hands really? Down. Were you surprised by who won Best Picture? So this is why I didn't want to do an Oscars recap because I've I have a lot a lot of thoughts. There has been 
a lot of criticism around Green Book prior mm-hmm. to them winning, and mm-hmm. them winning really solidified everyone's issues with it. Um, I don't really want to get into it because I don't. I, I feel like I don't have uh, the formulated thoughts around it. I encourage everyone, and this is. If you just want to be more knowledgeable about the situation, listen to to uh, the daily podcast. Sorry, it's not today. It's um, just look for the one that says what Hollywood got wrong or something like that. You'll you'll figure it out. But Wesley Morris, who's one of my favorite um, people, people, he's a New York Times writer and he has another podcast called Still Processing with Jenna Wortham, which is like goals. And they also get into the issues around Green Book as well um, on their podcast. But I think The Daily does a really good job. They did it right after the Oscars and they talk in depth going into the history behind this type of racial moment and Mm -hmm. what it means. And I just encourage everyone to go listen to that and then formulate your thoughts around and that win. I thought I didn't see all of the movies um, up for best picture. So I don't think my opinion is super valid, but I I saw everyone. I didn't finish Roma, but it really, really struck a chord with me. Roma was beautiful. It was okay. It was, it was so raw and it broke the boundaries of movies being fantasy and it just dropped you into a reality that was so real i identified a lot with the characters why because what? we had help growing up we had a mexican immigrant nanny oh, you you mean the the relationship between the nanny and the kids yeah, yeah we, I agree. we she's she's illegal first of all mm-hmm. she came here on the, on the, with nothing on her back And she joined our family and we've treated her like family ever since. But the issue of immigration has always been a really big one for me. I mean, I remember one time when um, our nanny's cousin stole something from someone that she worked for and the cops were coming to the house. So I had to go pick up the children and hide them in the church for the night so they wouldn't be deported. I mean, it was serious stuff. Damn, I did not know that. Yeah, so I felt really connected to Roma, obviously as a person of privilege, of course, mm-hmm. being on the other side of the the table, of course. But I mean, um, we did I our just, best to love her as much as possible. I more so just got like the cinematography bug about it. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was like I've never seen f- a filming that way mm-hmm. and an editing that way. Um, especially like the scene, well, you didn't finish it, but the scene where she goes into the ocean and you see that whole long, it's just beautiful. I've never seen a shot that way and seen a movie portrayed yeah. in the way it was. Um, I don't think she should have been nominated for best actress. I didn't think that was, I think deserved. she should have been because what she did was really subtle. And I think the subtlety of it is very difficult to achieve. Yeah. I mean, the part, like the realness the of the it, baby, I mean, oh. oof. That was t- I have that to finish was- it, but that was my thoughts oh, on the Oscar. You didn't even see anything. I'm that, halfway that, through. She definitely got the Oscar nomination for that one scene. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm halfway through. Um. Anyways, so yeah, Oscar. Also, I love Bohemian Rhapsody. I cannot stop. So I've never been a Queen fan. I didn't even know all those songs were Queen. First of all, because our parents didn't like grow us up on Queen. Mm-hmm. But now I cannot get their songs out of my head. He did such a good job. I am so happy he won the Oscar. Okay, there's also a lot of controversy around that movie. Brian Singer was the director for about three-fourths of it. I know. But don't, don't like, the actors had nothing to do with that. Also, people are saying Rami Malek didn't sing any of it, so it's like he wasn't acting it. I don't know. People talk about this. That's weird. Um, I personally think 
Timothy Chalamet got snubbed. I cannot believe he wasn't nominated for B- Beautiful Boy over fucking Viggo Mortensen in Green Book. Like, goodbye. Um, but I get it that Viggo Mortensen is more established. And, you know, there's politics. Are all there's politics. politics. It's all politics. It's, it's all politics. literally all yeah. politics. Um, but I, I really, I mean, obviously, Shallow needed to win. Oh, my God. I was so happy of when course. it won. I mean, it's such a no good song. competition. I think that's one of the best songs to come through our modern, like, life it was yeah. forever like that's one of the best songs that's ever been put out there yeah it's a great it's a good one it's a good one for sure um what other good moments were there moments i liked the opening i thought it was cool i mean i i i really didn't think a host was needed it flowed so nicely yeah. everyone did cute bits i mean the tina fey and amy poor my root oh my god all, i was dying they were perfect because they did a little bit of the hosty jokes but not too much where it felt long dude talk about a girl squad that i need to get in on oh. amy poehler is my is no, my, my hero maya rudolph is mine amy I, poehler i have a t-shirt that says leslie nope is my spirit animal adam bought it for me you are ridiculous oh my god i'm obsessed with her yeah okay, okay moving right should we do along. word of the week yes okay so this word is actually from my mother-in-law shout out mona um it's a verb and the word is sublimate and it means in psychoanalytical theory divert or modify an instinctual impulse into a culturally higher or socially more acceptable activity synonyms include channel control divert transfer redirect convert refine purify and transmute all right you're gonna need to scale back what is it used in a sentence work can serve as a means of sublimating rage so a channel so boxing is like sublimating sublimating yeah when you're doing it in a a way to channel your anger or channel your whatever exactly Yeah, yeah yeah sublimate or like if you're feeling anxious and you go for a run you're sublimating is this all exercise? Well, that's just coming to mind. Yeah. I think I feel like that's like the obvious way to Taking describe it. Taking a bath. Sublimating. Sublimating your day. Like just oh. transferring over to the chill time. Okay. Transitioning. Yes. Good. Great. I love that. Yeah. is not a good Very one? Very scientific. Yeah. I mean, hello, Mona. Hello, Mona. Mona's so smart. Yes. Very good. Love it. Um. Okay. So I want to talk about this tea. Oh, my God. That drinking. we have been drinking nonstop. Nonstop. Um, it is called Bon Ton. And of course, because of our elementary French that we oh yeah that we're so <laughs> that great we're on so great, um, but it's spelled for those of you who want to know B O N space T E M P S Bonton, and the reason well one I just got their chai tea and it is divine delicious amazing. But the best part about this is it's a it's the first woman centric tea company. And they have eight organic teas with no bleaches, pesticides, or artificial flavors. So I didn't know that most teas have bleaches in it to kind of make the um, bags a certain color or something. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. So this one is completely organic and free of all um, the shitty things. And also a percentage of their sales um, goes into an $1,000 cash investments for women. What more do you want? I mean, this is so drinking tea. You're you're contributing to women's success. You're investing in women. Not I only mean, that, there's nothing else better. Not only that, their packaging is so cute. It's super seventies inspired. They've got this great floral print going on, and I really like how they rate the caffeine. So out of four, the chai is two out of four. I think that's oh, like that's, a nice yeah. little way to know what kind of pick me up you I need. Thought, I thought chai was a little more interesting. Yeah, that's I, why I'm not awake right now. Well, probably, <laughs> but it's good for like an it's afternoon kind of like a little pick me yeah. up. Yeah. So actually, they are offering our listeners a cool code. So if you go to shopbonton.com again that's s h o p b 
B-O-N-T-E-M-P-S.com and enter the code OKSIS. That's O-K-A-Y-S-I-S. No spaces. Um, you get $10 off any order of $40 or more. Ooh, that's a great deal. So get your tea on. And, and if, this is pr- this is perfect for someone who's maybe trying to get off um, coffee, maybe trying to go a little bit more subtle in their life, yeah. trying to that's switch over a to bit. a healthier alternative. I mean... I drink coffee all day long, so it's nice that I kind of can switch it up in the middle of the day to tea, and I just feel a lot better about myself. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Don't feel as bloated. It's not as acidic. Yeah. It's a good transition. It doesn't hurt it your sublimates. stomach. sublimates. Is that the word? Yeah, that's the word. Into your afternoon. Yeah, exactly. There Look you go. Me. Okay, this is the perfect tra- This is a perfect sublimation. This not is. Not sure if that's <laughs> the right iteration no, it, of a the little word. bit. It works. We're channeling. Um, into our guest because talk about woman centric. Oh my god, we she is. Oh my god, Sarah Sophie Flicker, and she is the most brilliant feminist, feminist scholar she's, and advocate. She's one of the leading feminists of our time, and she is so unassuming and poised and articulate. It, she looks like a bohemian angel. In her home in Brooklyn. She oh. was so gracious to let us into her home. Oh my God, her home. Can I just live there forever? It was like five stories. There's all these nooks and crannies. Yeah, it feels it's so, so cozy. cozy yeah. And it's so artistic and creative. Like, yeah. I just want to like read a book or write a short story in her house. Oh, God. Well, that was a little pretentious. But yes, I that understand. That's not what you pretentious. Mean. Oh, pretentious. You, you go to Restoration Hardware rooftop garden to read books. Oh my God. <laughs> Don't even with me the in the pretentious. Best view of the city. Don't even with me. <laughs> um, no. But she was incredible. We learned a lot. Um, uh, uh, it was kind of piggyback, piggybacking off of our feminist episode. Yeah. Right after, um, right after that, we interviewed her, and so we really, I felt equipped, kind of, to totally talk to her about it in more depth, and you know, be very vulnerable about things we didn't know. And she was really patient with us, and she has a really good way of. Um, like when we said something, if there was something we societally missed, like or, or or a perspective we weren't seeing, she very gracefully shed light on it exactly. and then brought it back to the correct way to talk about an issue. Yeah. So she's super knowledgeable on what the conversation around feminism looks like and how we can speak about these manners in a respectful yet purposeful way. Yeah. Oh, you guys, this is going to feel like a warm hug. Go get your bon ton tea. Yeah. Sit down. Snuggle up and listen to Sarah. And listen to Sarah. Enjoy. Okay, sisters, enjoy. Sisters, my goal these days is to always look put together when I leave the house. Nothing over the top or super dressed up or anything like that. I just want to look put together and feel good about what I'm wearing in an effortless yet refined way. When I look at my closet every single morning and think about what I can wear that is chic and intentional, I usually end up grabbing one of my Jenny Kane sweaters and I always end up loving the way I look and the way I feel in them. You all know, sisters, that when I envision my highest self, I am wearing Jenny Kane. Their sweaters are the quintessential must-have item. I cannot stop wearing my Marina set. I throw it on and immediately feel like I'm in a Nancy Myers movie. Like I could just walk on the beach in Santa Barbara. It is the coastal grandma aesthetic. My favorite Jenny Kane sweater right now is their everyday sweater in taupe. This is the definition of a staple that every woman must have in their wardrobe. Sisters, trust me on this one. I wear it with leggings, oversized jeans 
jeans and a little kitten heel or a silk maxi skirt. Legit, Mads and I are so obsessed with wearing our Johnny Kane sweaters that we've literally shown up both wearing the same sweater once. The white alpaca cocoon crew neck, which is this deliciously oversized sweater. Yeah, that moment takes the cake. Both of us walking in with our matching Jenny Kane sweaters. We're obsessed. Can't take them off. Wearing them every day. The type of staples that save your outfit. That is what I love about their entire collection. It is truly the art of simplicity. They focus on comfort, quality, and timeless design. So you can curate a wardrobe that never goes out of style. Find your new uniform at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code OKSIS at checkout. That's 15% off your first order, J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code OKSIS, O-K-A-Y-S-I-S. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Ever since having a baby, I've been extremely conscious about what I spend my money on and which products I use. And clothing is no different. I want my wardrobe to be sustainable, good quality, and timeless. You have to be talking about Whimsy and Row, right? Whimsy and Row is an LA-grown, eco-conscious brand born out of the love for cute, comfy, and classic styles. Every piece is made by women for women. Quality goods, local production, natural and organic fabrics. Yes, please give me all the linens. Just like OK Sister, Whimsy and Row is based on the idea that women are multidimensional. There's a balance of flirty feminine and minimal masculine in all of our wardrobes, and Whimsy and Row means exactly that. From special occasions to everyday effortless styles, their clothing is meant to mix and match and wear on repeat. I have been wearing their Kira pant in black linen probably three times a week. Sisters, if you've been listening to this podcast or following me on Instagram, you know that Whimsy and Rose Kira Pant in Black Linen is a sisterhood staple at this point. Founder Rachel Temko created the brand back in 2014 because she wanted to create an approachable and inclusive brand that cared for the people and the planet first. Get the full Whimsy experience IRL at their Venice location or shop online at whimsyandrow.com. Their store in Venice is so cute, I can attest. And if you're in LA, I highly recommend stopping by. They are always putting on these amazing community events. They just launched their spring summer collection and we will be living in it all summer long. Visit their website, whimsyandrow.com. That's W-H-I-M-S-Y-A-N-D-R-O-W.com and use code OKSISTER for 15% off. Okay, sisters, let's talk about hair shedding. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started seeing a little more of your scalp? Hi, I've been there. When it comes to thinning hair, there are many root causes at play, and Nutrafol addresses them through a multi-targeted, whole-body approach. Ugh, thinning hair just isn't the vibe. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. Amen. Everyone's root causes of hair thinning are different, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hair growth just doesn't cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow through different stages, such as postpartum, like me. After I gave birth, I noticed that around the crown of my head, my hair was shedding. I've been taking Nutrafol for almost three months at this point, and I am not kidding you when my husband, my friends, my family have been commenting on how long, strong, and healthy my hair has been looking lately. 
I mean, sisters, if you've been watching OK Sister on YouTube, you've seen my hair. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. I mean, (laughs) 86% is a lot of women. Take their hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code OKSIS. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code OKSIS. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code OKSIS. Sarah Sophie Flicker is an activist, producer, writer, filmmaker, cultural organizer, creative director, and aerialist. Founder and creative director of celebrated political cabaret group, The Citizens Band, She's the editor-at-large for Violet Book. Her writings can be found at Refinery29, Shondaland, W Magazine, The Cut, and elsewhere. She is a co-author of the Women's March official book, Together We Rise, which was released in January and is a New York Times bestseller. She is the creative director of Firebrand, along with Paula Mendoza. She was a national organizer at the Women's March. Before this, she was working with Art Not War as content producer and creative director. Sarah Sophie has worked with a wide variety of organizations, on campaigns such as Emily's List, Ladies Part Justice, Women's March Plus, United We Dream, Planned Parenthood, Narrow, Domestic Workers Alliance, and others. She's a founder and member of the Resistant Revival Chorus. So without further ado, Sarah. Hi. What a mouthful. I am out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> it's just because I'm a woman who multitasks. Exactly. You are, we you all are do. multifaceted. I also am a mom. I've decided to start adding mom because... Okay, that's what I was thinking this morning. I was like, maybe we should add in that she's a mom to her bio. It's, it's a conflict, and I think, you know, women and feminists have a hard time figuring out... Motherhood, I think, is sort of like one of the many stones left unturned, mm. Um as far as like feminism and just being a modern woman. So I'm adding mom to my resume because I think that, you know, caregiving should be celebrated and also something that we hold in high regard. Yeah, it's so interesting that we that we do leave out motherhood when we're such career focused women. It for some reason, why why do you think that we think it's like a downside? Oh, not downside. But we a think it's job. a we can't have it all type thing. Or um, what do you I think, think it's a lot of things. I have a cold. I just want oh. everyone to know that. <laughs> I'm just disclaimer. Like I'm not a weird, gross, sniffly person like Donald Trump. Normally, I just oh have a cold, God. and I just need to like own that fact. Perfect. Um, I think it's a lot of things, and I certainly have not gotten to the bottom of it. I think, you know, um, if you're in a workplace, men often are not asked about, don't talk about being fathers. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes, not always, but sometimes women, as things change, um, we sometimes emulate things that are masculine coded and, um, confer that as something powerful and I'm trying to really like self-examine that lately because you know you know the most obvious example is like on the 
red carpet or like when celebrities are interviewed, no one ever asks dads father, how like, they, how's your kids? you like, know, how are your kids or who's with your kids right now? Or, right. or, um, how do you balance work and family? Um, they never ask those questions yet. Women are always asked those questions. That has driven me absolutely nuts for years. And yeah. I mean, like, for example, I was talking to my stepdad about this and I was saying, like, my husband would never think that he would have to put his career on hold to have kids. Mm-hmm. So why should I have to think about it? Yeah. And there's also, you know, when we talk about the the wage gap, you know, which is something, you know, we talk about there's uh, equal payday. And, you know, mm-hmm. as we know, like white women make less than white men, but black women make less, less Latino women yeah. make less, Asian women make less, Native women makes less, you know, and it goes down in a spectrum of mm-hmm. less, 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 less. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing no one ever talks about is the maternal pay gap, which, you know, I, I'm bad with statistics, but off the top of my head, I remember it being, I, uh, one statistic I remember is with every child, women make 3% less than they did wow. before, you know, and, I mean, the wage gap is interesting because it's actually and I was I was listening to a podcast about it. It's not necessarily that women in same jobs get paid less, which they do. But it is like an average because women in the workforce will, quote unquote, drop off at those, you know, 28 to 30 year old range when you are maybe a manager or, or something. But it stops there. Then you drop off, you have kids, you don't go back into the workforce. And that's why the wage gap, since it's an average, is below. And it's just like, if you just strip it down, that's really the cause of it. And we need to unlearn that. Well, I mean, it's not the cause of it. You know, there's also, you know, racism and sexism. But it's certainly part of it. And, you know, women's careers just tend to stall at a certain Mm -hmm. point if they have kids. You know, it's also complicated. Also, like, I find it so interesting how as, you know, as jobs become like, quote unquote, feminized, Mm. like female coded, um, the pay goes down. So as women entered the workforce, you know, over the decades, you know, jobs like, um, uh, you know, obvious ones like nursing Mm. or anything caregiving related goes down. Um, it's it's all just so layered, and that's why I was happy that you guys did an intersectional feminism, you know, feminism breakdown, and um, that yeah, was great. Because I think that's something a bit um, untouched. Uh, I mean, obviously, people are speaking about that more, but that, especially as white women, I think it's something so important for us to also uncover and be able to speak honestly about. But we'll get into everything feminism. Let's do round of conversations. You want to start, Mads? Yeah, I'll start. So I have been obsessed with this one, like brand, blog, media, whatever, called Me First. So it's essentially about... Um, inspiring individuals to put themselves first, specifically women, and how the uh, the self-love is not selfish, essentially. And putting yourself first actually can benefit those around you and making sure that you are ready to step into the world and serve others is starts with serving yourself. So they it's a great resource. They have a website. It's me first with like three T's at the end. And they also make like really cute shirts. So if you just want to like sport some me first Sure, it's just to remind yourself that, you know, you're putting yourself first in order to um, show up for others. Can, that sounds amazing. Yes. Um, the one thing I always worry about with this stuff sure. is um, 
I think I'm a really privileged white lady. And, you know, as I'm raising kids and I look at them, you know, the messages even around feminism that my daughter has sent, I have to remind her, I have to remind myself, mm. absolutely me first and absolutely like, but remember that we have so much more, pri as white women, we have yes. so much more privilege. And totally. a lot of times um, we need to step aside, we need to pass the mic, we need to be quiet. And totally. so like, make sure that like your self care and, you know, and that's, is intersectional maybe and is you are checking in with that and with that privilege when you're conducting self-care as well right yeah interesting that's a good point yeah i like the point um okay my current fixation is a little more shallow <laughs> fabulous um mads is not a fan but i have been rocking fake pointy claw nails lately they look great and i feel so feminine with them i feel like kind of like a witch or something you know what i mean it's just like this little extra perk it is like a witch. On. Yeah. And it's, it just looks so feminine to me. I don't know why. And it's fun to play around with my fingers now. I don't know. That sounds wrong. But <laughs> no, I. there's no wrong. It's just all about like how we check in with ourselves and what appeals to us. Yeah. You know, and that's what's been stripped away from us in some ways. It's like if you're into nails, be, be into, into nails. nails. As long as you don't make everyone else be into nails. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's so true. Yeah, I so love I've them. been I loving them lately, and I get a really dark purple, so it almost looks black. You've always, you've always gotten, like, This a is the dark. only color I get. It's Linkin yeah. Park after dark OPI, if anybody's listening. Like, I've, I've done that one many times. Oh, now you're so inspiring good. me. I'm uh, thinking of getting my nails done because we're going to L.A., even though the weather is terrible. Um, and I was going to do red, but maybe I'll do Oh, no, one. this is yes. the best. To go with the goth weather in L.A. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Which Fit L.A. Right doesn't in. get goth very often. I know. Um, my fixation, I was really thinking about it. I think it's poetry right now. Oh, um, my God. You're speaking you to speaking Scout Soul. speaking to my soul. And um, I've always been a poetry, like a closet poetry lover mm -hmm. a little bit. But I have a couple friends, and w one in particular, um, who we've been sending poems to each other almost every day Aww. since the beginning of this year. So we're at like a month and some change in. That's and such a beautiful practice, just like over email? We text on text? email, oh, that's DMs. Amazing. You know, we post Aww. each other's poems that we send each other. And you're um, writing these poems? No, we're not. I'm just not. you're finding poems. Got I'm it. Fine. Yeah. yeah. But I'm really getting back into poetry, and I was trying to think of why. And I don't totally know why, but I, I do feel like a big part of it is like we're, um, I think the beautiful thing about poetry is it sort of like boils down our stories into these very condensed and specific, mm -hmm. um, condensed and specific language that sort of like explains really complicated and nuanced things, yeah. um, with a lot of brevity and because everything is so sort of fucked up and complicated and nu and needs more nuance than it is getting lately yeah. um there's something really soothing about just reading something that like explains your tor turmoil or whatever to yourself and so we've been really getting into that and some like real old school lady poets Who's, been, who's one of your favorite poets I right now? I have so many favorite poets. I love Muriel, Ru I'm going to say her name wrong, but Muriel Rukeyser. Okay. She's amazing. And she was one of like a feminist, super political poet. Audre Lorde, like obviously. Um, um, oh God, what's her? I'm so bad. Um, Adrian Rich, big one. Um, but Joy, I might need to come back to you with okay, her last totally. name. We'll um, we've, uh, but th I have, I can send you a whole list. Like we've yes, been please. really um, 
Lucille Clifton, great. Um, yes. You know, and then to, that's such a. I don't know. I feel so inspired by that. I there is something so cleansing about poetry, and you're right. It does feel not simplified, but it does put mm-hmm. it kind of like contextualizes everything and categorizes them in a way that you just like didn't think was possible in language, and yeah. it's fascinating how it how could do such a it's so powerful i went to sarah lawrence for a year in college i remember one night we bought a bunch of wine and we just drank out of the bottle sat in a circle lit candles and went around the room and read howl by allen ginsburg out loud and it is one of my favorite memories oh when well and then um mary oliver may Mm. she rest in power you know that was recent but i do feel like since 2016 and there's so many great new poets also Mm -hmm. I remember there was one that was really making the rounds in like 2016 2017 I feel like her name was is it's called good bones is the is the poem okay um but there's just uh, you know and then I've been getting so many like you know poetry in times of resistance like the Boston Review put out a great like book of all new poems there's just good stuff out there and it's yeah. been like grounding and sort of like uh, clarifying yeah. i have to start reading more poetry i used to read poetry all the time and i used to write poetry all the time i'm interested yeah, to get back into that i'm interested to to learn more about the modern uh poets, poets. like that's it i just feel like it's not like a lost art form but it does feel like there needs to be a resurgence. Well, of there's the way. very millennial Rupi Kaur who is she's amazing, she's and amazing. my friend Cleo Wade is <gasps> amazing. Cleo Wade is amazing. Oh, um, and <laughs> you know, and then there's so many like yeah, you know Beyonce. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, had a whole lemonade. lemonade was sure, like sure, a sure. whole sort of like meditation on poetry. Totally, and, um, that was unbelievable. Sure. No, was, I don't remember exactly the name. I'm so bad at <laughs> don't worry. You're totally yeah. fine. Also, side note: your hair <laughs> is. <laughs> Can Gorgeous. we have it? I, mean, it, I, it? I had my hair done yesterday. It so looks what? So it's beautiful <laughs> and long. <laughs> I mean, I had luscious. my roots dyed, so. Oh, my God. It's, it's beautiful. beautiful. Okay, um, so yes, let's, let's, get let's get into everything you. Let's start kind of at the root of everything. How did you first get into female empowerment and feminism? Oh, gosh. I don't know, really. Um, I just the thing I've always been into. Um, I was born in Denmark moved to um the bay area when i was you know before i started elementary school um and you know my parents sort of have like political uh, you know a firm footing in a political past um so i was just sort of raised with that i don't remember exactly what got me into it i just know um I've always just been really interested in feminism mm-hmm. and I've always been really interested in the ways that systems of oppression sort of interlink and, you know, how we're all sort of just, uh, we're, we're swimming in these systems of oppression and we all um, are complicit in certain ways. And, um, and I've yeah. just always been really interested in understanding it and sort of unlocking it and figuring out ways to like, as much as I can remove myself from it, which is never entirely possible. Um, But I think uh, the first stuff I remember, so I was in San Francisco um, and uh, um, I was in San, well, for example, I was in San Francisco, um, you know, during sort of the end, but that 
height of the AIDS crisis when mm-hmm. um, right before they found the cocktails that really worked for people. I had a lot of friends who had AIDS and I had a lot of friends who died really young, you know, and when you're 18, 19, 20 and you have more than a handful of friends who have passed away, it's just that's not the way life is supposed to be. And so I got sort of involved with ACT UP. I got, I remember, um, then I went to Mills College, which is like a very feminist, very feminist college. (laughs) You know, so I remember before college, I was volunteering. I feel like I volunteered for Barbara Boxer. And now, and um, that was just sort of what I did. And I think, you know, my parents really instilled some, some great, like very firm um, boundaries around morality and ethics and politics and, Mm -hmm. you know, what we stand up for. And that's just been my path. So how did you get involved with the Women's March? Oh. Um, And what is your involvement with the Women's March? Um, So I, I mean, that's a long story. So, um, you know, I'd been working, I've always really been interested at the, at, at the specific intersection of where culture and politics meet. And, my feelings always sort of been that, y- you know, while, um, you know, obviously like advocating for specific policies is super important, but, you know, how do we change um, hearts and minds, right? And uh, while we, you know, especially at this point in our country, you know, we're getting our news from two different sources. Like we're getting two different sources, you know, two if not more sets of facts. And, um the w- you know people may turn off the news but the things they don't turn off are television they still go to films they still go to sports events they s- they listen to music mm-hmm. um and i do think that like culture plays such a huge role in changing our biases and um you know softening the sort of fear and hate people tend to have towards one another so i've just really been always very interested in working in like specifically that sphere and i think i'm only learning how to talk about it now I never really understood you know so for younger people out there you know you don't need to know what you're going to be when you grow up and I think for women we're so often told like multitasking is bad Mm. and um you know you're not going to be super productive and efficient if you're doing all sorts of things at once I've always done all sorts of things at once and if you're a mom you have no choice but to do all sorts of things at once and I really think that like combining all sorts of different worlds and um, doing lots of varied things at one time and not necessarily being able to have a title is totally fine. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to know what you're going to be. Just do, you know, do the thing that's interesting to you and you will figure it out. Like given that you have the opportunity and resources and obviously privilege to be able to follow those paths. So, um, the women's March, uh, you know, I'd been working in this world for a long time Mm -hmm. and, um, with art, not war, Um, I had been working after the primaries uh, sort of on a tangential Clinton campaign project. And um, another thing that I've done for like 14 years with a whole group of amazing artists and cool people is um, we have a group called MAP and we go to swing states and get out the vote. So we knock doors, you know, we do it um, in midterms, presidential elections, like whatever. And so we had been with like around 200 people in Philly knocking doors my daughter came with me the whole time and knocked 600 doors so cute Um, 
and we'd been, you know, working on stuff there. And uh, the night of the election, we were still all in Philly. And I woke up the next morning, and um, my friends, Paula Mendoza and Michael Skolnick, called me pretty early. And they were calling every single artist, influencer, political person in their phone book. And they were saying, like, now is our time to lead. And they said, will you host this um, part, you know, will you host, you know, a gathering at your house? And so this was on Wednesday. We drove home from Philly. Thursday, we hosted this gathering. There was like 200 people here at the house. And um, we were like, what the fuck do we do? And, you know, it was kind of, it was amazing because it was people from the Clinton campaign. It was electeds. There were filmmakers. There were Bernie surrogates. Like, everybody wow. was there. Working Families Party, like, everybody was there. Um, and um, I remember that night, we were all, you know, looking at our phones, as you do. And I saw, that's when I saw somebody had put up this thing for the Women's March. And we're sort of all talking about it and thinking, like, huh, I don't know who these people are, you know. And for... Um, most of us in the room who are pretty um, connected in the worlds of politics and activism, it was interesting not to know who those people were. And then um, a few days later, I don't remember exactly when I got an email saying, you know, from some people I did know, (laughs) saying, you know, do you want to come work on the Women's March? Mm. So, um, and it was, and I just remember that Tamika and Linda and Carmen were on that email and... um, that and uh, we were all working together a few days later i remember (coughs) the women's march so specifically i marched in san diego it was unbelievable so i mean you talk about the integration between culture and politics which i think is really fascinating what and since you've been in this world for so long what have you seen in terms of social media and the activism and the the platform that it, it allows people to have how have you seen a change? What is the landscape? Ha- has it been better or worse for this cause? I mean, I'm no expert. Mm-hmm. I certainly know um, I was definitely like played a big role at, in the social media team for Women's March. Okay. And um, <coughs> sorry. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you look back historically at all the, you know, big marches like we were so lucky like we got to um connect when when they when the women's march changed its name to the women's march on washington tamika has a great relationship with bernice king who's Mm -hmm. dr king's daughter so we were all in contact with her and we got to uh, there was a uh um phone call that we all got to listen in on and she was talking about bernice Um, Elder Bernice King was talking about, you know, they had hundreds of organizations that were partners um, on the original March on Washington. And she had given us her blessing to use the name. And, you know, it took them, I don't know exactly how long, but I mean, years to, you know, a year at least, um, probably, I think years, if I'm remembering correctly, to get all these organizations on board. We had nine weeks and there is no way we could have mobilized all the people we did if it weren't for social media. And that said, like, social media made it so easy 
for um, messaging to get out and for all the amazing state organizers that organized your march in San Diego and the marches here in New York, like all those organizers, we were all connected through the internet and we were connected through social media and it really allowed everybody because certainly like the national team, it was, were, they were great, but you know, all those state and global organizers, there were hundreds and hundreds of people working on all these marches and we were all connected through the internet and we were able to um, share messaging and share logos and all these things that would have been impossible. So like on the one hand, it's been critical, you know, and especially in the last few years of um, organizing against the Trump regime, it's been essential. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you know, you see where it's terrible. I have an 11 year old daughter and I, um, we did everything we could to keep her off, you know, Instagram, but it's like all her friends are on it and you see the way they communicate. And on the one hand, it's beautiful because she's like, has all these friendships and relationships with people completely different than her that she never would have. But on the other hand, I see the messages that she sent. I see the messages my sons are sent. You know, I see the messages I internalize from it. So just like anything, I just think we're sort of at this critical moment um, where we all start, we all need to start being better at, um, like I've said, like holding complications and holding nuance and and understanding that like many truths can exist at once and that if we're delving into these like difficult but daring and wonderful sort of conversations with each other and we're using social media as a tool for activism we have to hold ourselves and each other accountable in loving and respectful ways and we have to like um be a little more nuanced about this stuff Mm -hmm. you know so that's which is also why I love poetry. Back to poetry. (laughs) So how do you think the digital media and the digital sphere has affected the landscape of modern feminism? Um, so like I've been a pretty hardcore feminist for a long time and everyone's like, I just remember like, I, you know, and I'm really bad at dates and waves and all the things. That's not my strength, but, um, you know, I just always thought it was really cool. And when I was in college in the late 90s, you know, we were studying intersectional feminism. And I just thought that's what everybody was doing. And it was really, I mean, and this is naive on my part, it was really when we started pushing messaging out from the Women's March, um, you know, social media platforms about intersectionality and about, you know, how important it was to center communities who are the most marginalized and the most vulnerable and that, um, you know, the people closest to the pain are always the people closest to the solution, which Mm -hmm. often means me stepping aside, you know, all these things about intersectionality. I was like, oh shit, like we are not as far along as I thought because the pushback was, to be totally honest, like pretty intense. Mm -hmm. And, um, That didn't necessarily make me sad. It just made me feel like, okay, let's roll up our sleeves. We've got some work to do. And there's still, there will always be work to do, you know. And I think um, with 
a woman's movement and with feminism, you're essentially talking about a mass movement, even if you don't get all women on board with this. You know, women are 52% of the population. We are not a monolith. We come to the table with, like, our histories and our biases and um, our belief systems. We are never all going to agree on stuff. There will always be things that we disagree on. But I think, you know, the ideal would be, you know, as long as we can agree on our shared humanity and a basic set of principles, like, how can we disagree better? You know, like, that's what I'm really interested in. And so back to social media, like, uh, we're obviously like we're not there. And, and as like an old lady feminist with lots of kids, <laughs> it breaks my heart to see people going after each other. And then on the one hand, and then on the other hand, I think these are all really important conversations that we need to be having. And as painful and uncomfortable as they can be sometimes, I think if we're not in a place of discomfort, we're, we're probably not doing it right. And, you know, how can we all be better at sitting with discomfort and not going into a place of defensiveness? And how can we um, come from a place that is really um, sparkling with mm -hmm. active listening and being grounded in love and understanding that, like, if we know each other's stories, it's almost impossible to hate each other. So how can we listen better? I think that what happened when Trump was elected was there is one the country was polarized and we forgot how to talk to one another i th i think most of the issues that we have in this very polarized political sort of system right now is that we only know how to fight with one another the the amount of democrats that sit and honestly listen to a republican without getting defensive you said or lashing out or getting angry and vice versa is is very few and far in between and I think if we could all relearn how to talk to one another, we might be able to make some progress. Yeah, no, exactly. And then you also have to, like, leave, and this is where all the complication and nuance comes in, you also have to leave a lot of room for our rage. You know, it's like if you're talking about, you know, um, sexual assault or, you know, the spectrum of sexual violence, like women have, s I have so much rage around that. And the fact yeah. that we're finally talking about it, it's hard not to come from, like, an yeah, angry place. Yeah. And you know, black women, brown women, um, disabled women, LGBTQIA women, like, have been sitting with all this rage of not being heard for so long. So, like, we have to leave room for that. Mm -hmm. um, and and sometimes I feel like for me, and I can only speak for me, like, the best thing I can do is just listen. Mm. Yeah. Um, and and not react immediately. Um, but I also don't discount or would, nor would I want to like take away people's anger because it's so valid. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I think a lot of the frustration of a lot of people is, you know, the election happened and suddenly everyone's outraged and, and ready to be an activist mm -hmm. and, ready to be outspoken but none of these things are new you know it's not trump I, you get rid of trump all these things still exist yeah. you know and if you know certainly like occupy wall street black lives matter there's been so many movements in the last few years that really um taught people how to be out on the streets and use their voices and you know and be creative in their resistance and all these things like we have to honor those things and 
And I think that there's some frustration around the fact that it's beautiful on the one hand that so many people are showing up. And then the question is, will you continue to show up once this administration is out of office? Like, God is willing that they're out of office sometime soon. Yeah. Um, It kind of reminds me when you had mentioned that there's, like, obviously still so much work to do and how I kind of had a white privilege checked moment when I was reading Phoebe Robinson's book. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. She's I, a I haven't. I mean, I'm a mom, so it's hard yeah, for no. me to <laughs> but I love her and <laughs> I, I love and her. I've read sections of the book. And yeah, it's so good. she's incredible. But she had mentioned that during the Women's March and this whole uproar, she felt excluded as a black woman. And she did go to the march because, you know, she she still wanted to fight for herself and, and be an activist in that way. But um I just really, you know, I was I was also caught up in the women's march and, you know, all women together. But we still have a lot of work to do in terms of including the rest of the marginalized communities. We have a lot of work of to course, do. And I yeah. find like such great solace in that there's a beautiful mm-hmm. passage from the Talmud, uh, which I hope I just pronounced right. Cause yeah, I'm that's how you do I am. I'm yeah. half, my da- my dad is Jewish. Got so it. Okay. Yeah, I am Jewish. Jewish but, you got it. But um, it's. <laughs> uh, it, I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. it. Oh gosh, I could find it. It says, um, "We are not." It's. It says something like, um, "You know, it is not our job to. We are not. You know, like beholden, or it's not our job to finish the work, but we also can't um, walk away from it." Yes, and that's beautiful. And I just butchered it i'll find it for you but um you know i think once we all sort of like can live with the fact that we're not gonna be perfect and we're gonna mess up and we're gonna step in it and um and that it's not like any of these things you know as happy as i am that like the weinsteins of the world are taken down it's not about like targeting these specific monsters you know trump is not the monster and Weinstein is not the monster. Um, somebody on, I feel I have, I'm, you guys are going to kill me, yeah, but somebody I, no, wrote, somebody wrote, you know, white supremacy is not the shark, it's the water. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for misogyny and anything else, you know? And it's like, it, we have to stop, like, uh, we have to keep you know, obviously like bringing down people who are terrible, but we also have to just, internally examine the ways in which we're like upholding all this stuff every day and I know there's plenty of ways every day that I'm upholding systems of oppression and I don't even know it but you know once you start like examining it and holding yourself accountable then you're like oh yeah like um you know whatever it is you know even if 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 I um I mean, there's so there's examples every day, you know, Mm -hmm. but like my husband and I talk about all the time. It's like our daughter is the oldest child and inherently like she gets more responsibility. But we have to make sure that we're not, um, you know, like putting this albatross of like caretaking her brothers and housekeeping and da 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 on her shoulders. And we have to to ask the same of them. I mean, that's an obvious example, but there's just little things that we do every day where we we could if we all just stopped and and thought about them it becomes like a much more interesting way to live your life Mm, also absolutely i mean there's a lot of unlearning that needs Mm -hmm. to happen and i think 
you know, we have to, you know, give ourselves a little credit because we we were raised in a society that put these constraints on us and taught us a certain way of, of society and a certain structure. And it's now our responsibility to unlearn those things and shift them. Um, so obviously you've had such a colorful and impressive, you know, experience through your 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 feminism and your active activism what was the one what was one of your most proudest moments oh gosh um huh i have never thought of that i don't know i mean i'm definitely like i mean if i'm gonna be real honest i'm definitely like a self-flagellator and i'm always like oh i could have done that better you know so it's hard to the club right and i think you know and and certainly like uh imposter syndrome like all the things that everybody seems to feel that we never talk about i mean i don't know i mean the obvious one is like i the day of the march it was so um such a blur in so many ways but my husband and my three kids were supposed to join us and weirdly and i feel like this was just such a um funny thing actually my husband and my sons all lost their voices on the day (laughs) so my daughter I know so my my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law brought my daughter to meet me at the march but you know there were 1.2 million people there and I had like everybody on the lookout for but I'm like they're never gonna find me and I'm so worried and as it was getting bigger and bigger Mm. I really it was stressing me out a little bit. And to be honest, I had worries about everyone's safety, including mm-hmm. my own. And it was a complicated emotional yeah, yeah. minefield. But um, somehow um, my friends, Diara and Meredith, who were working all the like credential area, saw my daughter from like wow. across a whole bunch of people, got my mother-in-law, my daughter. And I will say like the second I saw her, I hadn't cried the whole day. I hadn't, you know, absorbed anything. I saw her. I like lost it and and which of course was like horrifying to her (laughs) she's like like, mom (laughs) so you know there's certain things like that that really stand out as proud moments but Mm. i don't know i'm not great at patting myself on the back for things well you should um, yeah and you're you've got a plethora of things to be proud of absolutely so who are some of your heroes would you say oh gosh i have so many um i mean i have too many that's like an impossible <laughs> thing to, um, uh, or who do you or, admire? Or maybe like who, who today? Oh, okay, today, today, like yeah. Aijen Poo. Oh, I okay. would say is one of the people I admire most. Um, she is at the domestic National Domestic Workers Alliance, mm-hmm. and she also um, is is part of Times Up and um, Families Belong Together. And I think the reason I always gravitate towards her um and paula mendoza who i work with all the time is another person but you know she and i always laugh about this because paula's like um she's colombian and she is like an amazing speaker and she has a lot of passion and and um and she is very much able to like express her rage in much better ways than i am and i am like you know, like I'm a quiet talker <laughs> and I like listening and um, I, you know, I like making people feel good. And um, and I think, you know, the Women's March specifically w- has, was an interesting moment for me because 
I was surrounded by so many women who are so powerful in ways that like I don't see myself powerful in the ways that like Linda Sarsour or Paula are powerful like they're incredible speakers and they are direct and um and Ijen is somebody who every time I see her speak um she speaks quietly like mm-hmm. I do and she's really measured and um I don't know if I've ever seen her yell um and I just find her to be like an incredibly compassionate and um empathetic leader and that's not to say that you know everyone else that I know isn't it's just I think I always felt like oh I shouldn't public speak or I shouldn't because I don't have that same like delivery and that same sort of Mm -hmm, bravado that they have and she's really empowered me to just be sort of like the more you know quiet Quiet, person and I mean that's really reassuring to hear that activism comes in all shapes and sizes Mm -hmm. and that it can be effective whether you're loud or whether you're quiet like there it could be a range and you don't have to be left out if just because you're not one model of it mm-hmm. i think that's really that's really empowering which perfectly describes okay us sense. yeah i'm, I'm like the loud <laughs> <laughs> passionate one and scout is like the, the grounded, calm one. <laughs> yeah but i mean i think there's you know you just realize like what a gift we all are mm-hmm. and how we yeah. all just push different parts of the envelope to get things done and it's also why like leading into 2020 I mean this is such a non sequitur but you know (laughs) I think everyone's so concerned like oh the left's gonna eat itself and we don't know how to but you know the truth is like if you I don't know like even looking at the state of the union yesterday it's like you look at the democratic side and this is no you know this isn't like a diss to Republicans at all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you look at the Democratic side of the floor and it was like every different kind of person you could possibly ever imagine and women and people of color. And, and then you looked on the other side and it was like a bunch of white people in suits. And no wonder that they are like really good at being unified in their messaging. And like, can we not, um, y- you know, we all bring so much like, experience and joy and flavor to the table and there's so many different ways to like express our experiences and to be leaders and um that's a really beautiful thing I think that's also coming out of all of this and I think like as long as we can figure out ways to just have better conversations like I you know even for the you know ridiculous Bernie Hillary divide which I gratefully like never got much a part of love or hate Bernie like he completely changed the landscape on how we think about so many important issues and completely changed the narrative and I am forever in debt to him for that and Hillary simultaneously changed the way that we look at women in politics and now we are like have all these um, women running and 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 we get to call people out when they're like oh yeah but not that woman or she's not likable or I don't like the way her voice sounds or you know whatever it is like now we get to like examine all those things and and be more accountable to like the biases that underlie all those things so whatever I think we're gonna be fine like I (laughs) (laughs) bottom line bottom line we're gonna be fine no but I like what that's it's so interesting about the Democrats having such a diverse population Mm -hmm. it's like we just need to find a unity in that diversity Right. And understand, like, 
it's real simple really it's like our liberation is bound in each other's right Mm -hmm. like i'm not free if you're not free if you're not free if you're not free and you know um i think that like sometimes we get caught up in this idea that like freedom can and justice can trickle down and i think the truth is that it doesn't really work that way it has to come from the bottom up Mm -hmm. and so if we are uplifting and centering the most like i said like the most marginalized marginalized groups and and you know and making sure that with every issue we have the voices of the people most affected then we all benefit Mm -hmm. you know like nobody loses because like for example with feminism if we center you know uh black women and disabled women and non-binary people and trans women and disabled women in all their specific um, issues and and areas of concern, then like we all are uplifted Mm -hmm. in that and nobody, and we're not leaving anybody out. And I just think, you know, especially with feminism, like sometimes like white women tend to um, go in and, um, grab the reins yeah. and then aren't always super cognizant of all the other issues that don't necessarily pertain uh, to them. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I feel I really honestly like if you had asked me I I don't even know if I would have done this 3 or 4 months ago. You know, I've really I really had to take a beat and things have been sort of, you know, fraught and painful. But I feel really hopeful right now. I do. And one thing Gloria Steinem always says that I love so much is that she says hope, after all, is a form of planning. So I know. Don't make me cry. She's the best. I know. So, um, yeah, I feel like uh, and and another thing that I'm almost positive it was Michelle Alexander who wrote um, The New Jim Crow. Mm. I saw her on a panel, and then she ended up writing, this is in a New York Times opinion piece. She wrote about how, you know, like all the work I've been doing, you know, has been categorized as the resistance or, you know, whatever. She's like, we're not the resistance. We are the resistance to the resistance. Because what they're doing is like, they are just trying to um, block the natural flow of just, of this country being browner and queerer and more progressive and uh, more just and, you know, and just more inclusive or whatever word you want to say. And this is like, hopefully like the last roar of the dinosaurs and they're just resisting the natural flow of things. And we're just going with what should be. That's so so interesting. I love that kind of imagery. That's really it great. It is so true that uh, we're just trying to undo all of that resistance towards the natural flow and towards all of that. That's so interesting to think about. Um, I do want to get your thoughts on Me Too and Time's Up. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it came, like, was it, obviously it was long overdue, but do you wish it had come sooner or... Well, I mean, it ca- it actually Tarana Burke had you know had started had a while started ago, it yeah. a decade ago, yeah. and like once again, you know, black women leading the way. I know, um, yeah. So no, I think it like makes perfect sense that I mean, obviously these are conversations we all should have been having a long time ago, right. but it, it there's no mystery as to like why it happened, when it happened, and continues happening, and. 
Um, it is great on the one hand, and it's also, you know, I think any sort of um, feminist who thinks about this stuff also recognizes the ways in which it's really fraught. Because unlike, unlike anything else, and Rebecca Traster is the one who, like, put this brilliant idea in my head that I'm probably about to butcher, but, you know, um, it requires, you know, as a mother of two sons, and um, I'm a queer woman, but I am married to a man, and, you know, it requires us all to implicate the people that are, um, we have the most intimate relationships with, and it, and you, and while it has been frustrating the way that men have responded, not entirely, but for the most part, you also understand that we're like changing the rules in midstream. And we're saying, yeah. oh, yeah. you know what? Like this used to be OK, but it's not OK. And we're like these things just take adjustment time. and they take yeah. time. And they, you know, these conversations are so painful and so hard to have. And then like if you're a parent and you're raising sons, it's like there's a all this great information out there for girls you know which is fantastic like feminists have done a great job centering girls and centering women and creating books and websites and movies you know and content there are like things you can go to that can guide you through the rocky train which doesn't make it any easier because parenting is a absolute clusterfuck and brings me to my knees every day but with sons it's like there's nothing out there mm. and um, I understand, you know, we're feminists. We don't want us. We don't want to keep getting pulled back into this place of having to center men and boys. But if we don't, especially parents, um, it, they're the problem. You know, like yeah. every mass shooting, almost uh, the ninety-something percent, ninety-eight percent of mass shootings are white men. Yeah. Um, you know, um, the the bulk of the violence that we're seeing that will I'm sad to say I think will continue until we get this administration out of here um you know is often at the hands of white men it's not immigrants it's not black men <laughs> it's yeah. it's white dudes so like as a white mom um I'm really trying there's not a lot of information out there I'm interested in creating more information but it, it's also um and there's people doing excellent work but it's just hard so yeah, it's a very unique time for parents mm -hmm. with with sons. I, I never really thought I mean, I thought about it, but it's not just the people existing. It's the people responsible for raising the next generation mm -hmm. that's going to have to put. That that's the only place. reason I want a boy. Because I want to just raise that, our mom always someone. said she's like, oh, I wish I had a son because I would have raised him to be the best fucking no, husband. No, and you and think dad. that and you hope yeah. that, but you just never know. And yeah. like, also, like the amazing thing about having kids is, like, your kid leaves your body, and then you are looking at them in the face, and they tell you who they are mm -hmm. immediately. And like, obviously, you know, um, you can do a whole lot like there's a lot we can do to um shape the way that they think about masculinity and race and mm -hmm. privilege and all these things but they also just are who they are you know and and then they like go out in the world and they get are struck with all these shitty messages just like girls are mm -hmm. and um and 
I'm so much better at talking to my daughter about these things just because I relate on such a personal level and I've been there, you know, um, and, um, and then on the other hand, whatever, I mean, the whole parenting thing is a trip, you know, like your relationship (laughs) to your sons, at least for me is like so much less fraught than it is with my daughter because it's, I'm not, it's not a mirror. It's not a reflection. So, um, on the one hand it's easier. On the other hand, I'm like, I don't know what to tell you about your penis. Yeah. Like, and then if my husband's out of town, I have to call and be like, what, that what do I do here? Oh my God, that's so funny. I love that. Okay. We don't want to take up too much more of your time. So I kind of want to leave it with what is, what is something that young women can really do to Get be involved. in this mo- moment, be involved. What is kind of like the most important first step if they're looking to really Get involved. Get involved. Oh, I mean, there's so many resources out there. Um, I mean, the one, like, great piece of advice that I just think goes for everyone is show up for communities outside your own. You know, like, if there is a Black Lives Matter protest because some uh, other inevitable awful fucking thing has happened, like, show up. And it doesn't mean that you have to do anything other than stand there and listen, but show up. Like... Mm obviously show up if there's women related things like by all means but I think the most important thing we can all do right now is show up for communities outside of our own and that's like a a, a, and I you know it's been heartening to see so much of that I mean I I remember like with the Muslim ban Mm, the week after the women's march when everyone started flowing into the um, airports and lawyers were you know I went to law school and seeing all the uh, lawyers there, like, just sitting there saying, does anyone need a lawyer? Um, and people who might not even know a Muslim person were there. I mean, that's that's sort of, like, where we need to go, and that would be my first suggestion. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love that. That's really smart. That's that's, and that it's not something that's talked about as much as it should be. Yeah. Mm. Oh, my God. I feel like my soul has been Yeah, you are, so, you, you are so special. Such a presence. Oh. I love you. Yeah, you're <laughs> amazing. I was so impressed with your... I was like, oh, you really broke down... You know, I mean, I will say um, one thing you could look at oh, um, yes. is womanism. Okay. okay. Um, that was a... That was like um, a movement. And again, I'm the lamest of dates. I feel like you're it was totally the 80s fun. and 90s. Okay. okay. Um, that was like specifically and still exists, you know, specifically w- um, women of color oriented okay. feminism. Um, okay. And there's yeah. a lot of great books. Totally. Oh, my God. Well. Oh, my God. Okay. Are tell everyone where they can find you, follow you. Oh. Okay. We will get our Firebrand website together. So okay. look out for Firebrand. Um, that's the company Paola and I started that's um rad and women and a, and a sort of collaboration of all our favorite women sounds um, like something we would love and, <laughs> um, but I am on Instagram at Sarah Sophie F mm. I'm on Twitter at Sarah Sophie F although I am trying to get better to engage on Twitter but I'm mm. terrified because it's kind of mean out there yeah um we're all, uh, that's sort of it for right yeah. now perfect yeah. perfect Thank you so much for coming on. This was oh, thank you for having me. You two are wonderful. All right, you can find us at Oasis Podcast, and we'll see you next week, sisters. (laughs) 
Hey there, I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. If there's one thing I know from both my personal and clinical experience, it's that we are really good at comparing ourselves to others. We tend to get stuck in the unhelpful narratives that play on repeat in our minds, and we struggle to set boundaries and create healthy love. Each week, I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair, and being a wife, mother, and business owner to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Tune in every Thursday to I'm Not Your Shrink wherever you listen to podcasts. While I'm not your shrink, I am still human and I'm excited for us to be in our vulnerability and humanness together. 